All right. So Pastor Kevin's been talking in the past couple of weeks about spiritual disciplines and character. We've heard about the disciplines of worship, of prayer, of celebration, silence, studying the Bible and others. And these are all activities we've been learning are part of deepening our connection to God. And by connecting us more deeply to God, these activities actually end up changing us. They change our character. Good character is necessary to fruitfully use spiritual gifts that God has given us. Kevin's going to talk about spiritual gifts in the coming weeks. But this week, let's focus in on one particular discipline, prayer. Prayer is conversation with God. It's a conversation that changes us. It changes our character. It changes the way that we think and behave. We often don't pray because we're not convinced that there's going to be a result. But often we're looking externally for a result where the result actually is supposed to start internally. Conversation with God starts that internal change, character change. When Jesus gave us a model prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, he meant it to be not just words that we speak, but a fundamental shift in what we think. Jesus gives us this pattern for prayer, knowing that talking to God this way, according to this pattern, it changes us. Talking with God this way changes us. So let's see what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. It also shows up in the book of Luke, but we're going to look at the Matthew 6 passage today, starting at verse 9. And we're just going to launch right into the prayer here. Jesus starts, Our Father. For a Jew in Jesus' time, this was a scandalous, bold familiarity. This is how Jews were taught. This is how they they prayed. Blessed are you, O Yahweh Elohim. I actually get shivers just praying that right now. It's so full of reverential awe to God. It comes from a model prayer that King David prayed in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, uh, roughly verses 10 to 12. I will put that in the notes. You can look it up later, but I'm not going to go through it now. I'll just say that David addressed God reverentially, starting out as Yahweh Elohim. Now, the full phrase David used was Yahweh Elohim of Israel, our father. Some English translations, they, they point out, um, or it use, at least in the words that they use, they point out that God is the father of Israel, the, the nation of Israel. But other English translations, you'll notice in First Chronicles 29 that father is capitalized. It's actually saying God is the father, which is it? Well, as Jesus gives a model prayer, he's taking what David prayed as a model and refining it, starting with this bold familiarity of our father. This was scandalous. And so as we hear this right now, our father, keep in mind that this is a new thing for the Jews to hear. It can be a new thing for us to hear. What gives us the right to pray to God with this kind of bold familiarity? Consider that God created us in his image to take care of uh, creation in close relationship with him and with each other. We mess that up with sin. But Jesus came to provide the way back to being a child in that intimate relationship with God as Father. 
Through Jesus, we're actually given the right that the right that we have to become children of God is restored to us to relate to God. And this is scandalous, not just as our father, but daddy, papa. Does that feel scandalous? God as daddy, papa. Have you felt that bold familiarity as God's dear daughter or dear son? Do you want to start feeling that way? Well, then, you know what? We're talking about prayer. Let's practice it. Let's pray this right now. You can just pray with me. God, I want you to be my father. Make me know you as my father. Even as we pray that, we're inviting God to change us. Praying this way changes us. So then Jesus says, our father who is in heaven He's not throwing out that reverential awe of God in the way that the Jews prayed. He highlights first the bold familiarity of the Father, and then he maintains that reverential awe of God. Jesus then prays, hallowed be your name. This idea idea of God's name being hallowed, hallowed comes from at least two passages in the Old Testament. I'll put this in the notes as well. It's Isaiah 29, verses 22 to chapter 30, verse 2, and then Ezekiel in chapter 36, verses 22 to 27. What happens in both cases in those passages is that God indicates his intention to transform messy, sinful people to be able to obey him. People around observe the transformation of these messy, sinful people, and they're in awe of God's work. It causes them, the observers, to treat God's name with huge respect. Are you willing to let God make his name hallowed through you? Are you willing to let God work through you so that the people around you see what he's doing and treat God's name with huge respect? Pray with me, Father God. Use me to make your name hallowed. You can bet God wants to do that. Remember, he wants to work through this prayer in engaging with us in conversation, in prayer. All right, Jesus prays next, your kingdom come, your will be done. If we're asking God, your kingdom come, it means that it's somewhere else and we want it to come be here in this place. If we say your will be done, it means your will is not being done, or at least not fully, and we want it to be done. God's kingdom is where God's will is done, where he's perfectly obeyed. As Jesus offered these words for us to pray, he knew that he was on earth to fulfill God's will. He was on earth to perfectly obey God. And God's will for Jesus was that he would die. He would receive the punishment for sin on the cross. That was the better option compared to letting you and me die to receive the punishment for our own sins. Jesus wrestled painfully with letting God's will be done in this way. On the night before he went to the cross, he cried out in prayer, God, if only this suffering could be skipped, but not my will, 
but yours be done. Are you willing to accept that God's will for you is good, that you don't have to die to pay the punishment for your own sin? You can start by agreeing that God's will, that Jesus died for your sin, is something that you want to accept. You can pray with me. God, my Father, I've sinned. I accept your will that Jesus died to pay for my sin. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in my life as it is in heaven. And that's what Jesus prays next. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This insinuates that God's will is not always done on earth. So this means that God's permitting people to exert authority against him and prevail. Why would he do that? So in the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, we learn that God created people in his image and gave them the authority to make choices. It's the incredible dignity we have as relation, in relationship with God as human beings that we're made in his image to wield authority to choose. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve chose what God warned them not to choose. And they suffered really terrible consequences. They sinned. So in praying here on earth as it is in heaven, we're crying out to God to rescue people on earth from sin and its terrible consequences. We're sacrificing something to do this, though. We're giving up relying on our own limited ability to force other people to stop sinning, let alone forcing ourselves. We find that quite hard. Try forcing somebody else to stop sinning. You know that it doesn't work. I mean, parents, have you ever had complete success in stopping your children from sinning? No. No, we know by experience that we lack something to make us able to do that. We don't have the power to do that. Parents and anyone else in leadership are commanded by God to establish boundaries, healthy boundaries in communities in order to not permit people, children included, to just sin without restriction. But it's only God's transforming work that will enable people, children included, to want to obey God. Let's pray over our communities. Pray with me. Father God, your kingdom come, your will be done in my community, in my household, in my family, in my workplace, in my school, in my church congregation, my neighborhood, and beyond. All right, Jesus prays next. Give us this day our daily bread. <clears throat> Excuse me. Notice the directive language. All the verbs in this prayer are directive, not in the sense of command as if bossing God around, but as in request by virtue of our authority to ask him. Before offering this pattern of prayer, Jesus said in verse 8, your father already knows what you need before you ask. So why even ask? Here's the thing. You human being 
have been given authority to choose where you get your daily provision from. Go ahead. Try to meet all your needs. Try putting the pressure on someone else to meet all your needs. A spouse, a highly responsible child, someone we really admire at church or work or school. It is overwhelming pressure on yourself or on others to be held responsible for meeting all your needs. When we ask God for something, we're giving him authority. We're giving our authority over to God to be the one who does that providing. Think about it. If someone in your life stopped providing something that you depend on, how would you feel? Abandoned? Rejected? Bitter? Indignant? These responses don't get us what we need. In fact, these kind of responses eat us alive. I mean, if we fail at meeting our own needs, how do you feel about yourself? Like a failure. But the good news is that God can handle the sustained lifelong pressure to be your provider. So let's pray together. Father, meet my needs. I release myself from the pressure to meet all my own needs. I release people around me from the pressure to meet all of my needs. I'm sorry for putting that pressure on myself and on others. Forgive me, set me free, and meet my needs. Father God, I just pray over everyone who has just prayed this with me. Remove all of the curses associated with that pressure and cut the ungodly attachments and attach us firmly to yourself, Father, to be our provider. Amen. All right, Jesus prays next. And forgive us our debts. Or some translations will say trespasses. We prayed earlier asking God to make his will be done in our lives. And we accepted that his good will is that Jesus died to pay for that debt. So now let's just complete that by asking him intentionally to forgive us. We just asked him to forgive us for, for putting pressure on ourselves to meet our needs. Let's ask him to forgive us for all our sins. Just pray with me, Father God, forgive me of all the debts that I owe. Thank you, Jesus, for paying that debt. And then Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Or some translations will say, as we forgive those who trespass against us. A debtor is someone who has um, uh, owed a debt. They're owing a debt. A trespasser is someone who's crossed into territory that they didn't have permission to cross into. Either way, it causes someone to feel violated physically by actions, emotionally, with words. Not long ago, I was obsessed with food as a means of healing. I went to school for it. I was armed with information on why you should or shouldn't eat something particular. I gave unsolicited information to people all the time about what they should eat. I came to realize I was violating the people that I loved by the information I was pouring out. You know what God did? In one instant... He laid low all of my human effort to heal myself 
And he humbled me as a few folks prayed, asked God to heal my stomach, and I was miraculously healed. What was the point of my obsession? Since then, I've had to apologize and and actually seek forgiveness from some of the people who I was violating by the information, uh, the pressure that I was putting on them. A big thing right now is opinions about vaccines and government direction and masks and, and all this stuff to do with COVID. It's, it's really tense. All sides of the argument are feeling violated. We who follow Jesus, who are filled with God's spirit to produce the fruit of love, joy, peace, etc., we're empowered to preach the good news of Jesus' power to heal and save. From the Old Testament, the passage in Isaiah comes to mind that says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, or we can say us, to preach good news, to heal up the brokenhearted, to bring joyful freedom to captives, What we're in right now is an information war. Information is not the good news about Jesus. It doesn't stop people from sinning. In fact, information can become the very thing by which people feel violated. Opinions and information on both sides of any information war end up feeling like poison to each other. It's violating. But here's the antidote to the poison. It's forgiveness. There is an antidote. Forgiveness means giving up my right to get revenge, giving up my right to prove that my information is right. And it means I'm releasing the other person for God to take care of them. I stop trying to force things to be right, and I let God be the one who makes things right. Are you willing to let God do that? Then pray with me. Father God, Through Jesus, you have forgiven me of the massive debt of sin. I choose to forgive those who make me feel violated. I give up trying to force things to be right. Father, make things right in the way that you want to do it. And Father God, I just pray over everyone who prayed that. Please remove all of the curses associated with this violation and cut all of the ungodly attachments and heal the brokenness. Draw out all the pain associated with that violation and wash it away in the blood of Jesus. Amen. All right, then Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or some translations, the evil one. Why does Jesus go directly from forgiveness to deliver us? Unforgiveness and being held captive by the evil one, Satan, are actually intimately connected. Sin and the enemy's work. When we refuse God's forgiveness... Through Jesus' death on the cross, we actually open ourselves up to the work of the enemy, Satan. Jesus says elsewhere that Satan, his work, is stealing, killing, and destroying. When we refuse to forgive others, we again open ourselves up to that theft, destruction, and death. 
It sounds extreme, but so is Jesus' death. Forgiveness for sin is extreme. And we need rescue in order to bring that forgiveness from God. We need deliverance in order to enjoy that forgiveness. Because when we're caught in Satan's work, we can't just waltz out as if we have the power to do whatever we want. When we are caught, we are caught. And the power to deliver us comes from God alone. If you want that deliverance, then pray with me. Father God, I receive your forgiveness for my sin. Show me where to forgive others. I do not want to be caught in the enemy's schemes anymore. Deliver me. You'll see a a pop-up in the chat right now that says, I commit my life to Jesus. If you've seen God as your father for the first time today, or if you've prayed these prayers alongside me for the first time to ask God to change you, if you're ready to stop pressuring yourself and others around you to meet all your needs and look to God instead, if you're accepting Jesus' death on the cross for the first time, so that you can be forgiven, then I want you to click on that button, raise hand. It's anonymous. We can't see who you are, but we can celebrate with you just in the chat there that today God sets you free through Jesus' death on the cross and the power that he has to deliver you. When you choose this, Jesus promises that he puts his Holy Spirit inside you to be able to obey God, to actually want from the inside out God's will to be done. If you click on that button right now, then I just want to pray over you. Father God, send your Holy Spirit in power upon each person who is accepting you for the first time as Father. If you have just clicked that button, you'll see a form as well that you can fill out. And please do let us connect with you to be part of the community that you are enjoying the results of this change with. We'd love to do that with you. Okay, at the end of the Lord's Prayer, there's this phrase that appears in some translations and not in others. It says, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It shows up in some of the ancient texts, but not in others. It's actually suspected that uh, it was added later, but really it's only repeating what's already in Scripture. In that model prayer that King David prayed in First Chronicles chapter 29, very similar words show up. Listen to these two phrases. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You hear the similarities. So regardless of whether your English translation has that extra bit, don't worry too much. It is still very much words that God has given us in his scripture to pray. It still actually participates in the overall inviting us to be changed by praying this way. Because this last phrase is a doxology. It's a statement of praise to God. And and it's actually saying something like, you are the one who rules this kingdom, not me. You are the one with the power, not me. You are the one who deserves glory, not me. Not us. 
Because really, remember how the prayer started? Our Father. This is a community prayer. It's not just me talking to God, but it's us as a community of people who have accepted Jesus to save us, to deliver us. We pray this way together because Jesus intended that us as a community, that we be changed by praying this way together. Praying this way changes us. So as we practice this discipline of prayer today, as we seek God to shape our character to change us in preparation for the spiritual gifts that we're going to learn about in coming weeks. I invite you to pray with me the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to include that section at the end. Uh, when it comes to the part about forgive us our debts, we'll say forgive us our trespasses. It's a, a traditional way of praying it. So let us pray together. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us continue worshiping together. <laughs> 